you'll be happy to know that today I'm going to give you answers. I'm usually asking a lot of questions, and I still might, but today I have answers. I am going to explain, I can explain, why the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, Spirit-filled, are so popular. Do you want to know why? It can be boiled down to three words. Excitement, energy, and experience. Shabbat shalom. There are your answers. Let's stand. The pouring out of the Spirit in Acts 2, the first century, was very exciting, and it was very unexpected. It brought with it a huge, huge burst of excitement and awareness into this community. The birth, not of the church as we've discussed, but of the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the community of Yeshua's disciples was born. 3,000 people that one day, can you imagine if we stood out by the side of the road and said something and 3,000 people walked into services? It would be pretty exciting. It was very exciting. Amazing things happened within that community as a result of this, as a result of this unexpected thing. It was sort of expected. Yeshua said, listen, I want you to go and I want you to wait. Don't leave till you have the power. But, I mean, I don't know if they expected this much power and this much excitement and this much amazing stuff. But that excitement lended and led toward a new energy within that community, a sort of kinetic spiritual energy. Things began to happen all around. Healing, resurrections, tongues, that needs more explanation. Explosive growth, motion, that's what kinetic energy means. Kinetic spiritual energy was birthed from the excitement that took place from the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, showing up. And there was a tangible encounter for these people with this. They were witnessing things that they had not seen. Confirmations of prophecy. And that was energizing the movement. And in other words, this energetic, excited experience of encountering God. Energy, excitement, experience. It was happening in front of them. And more than that, they were participating in it. They were a part of it in a new, amazing way. So the question, and I said I wouldn't ask you any, so I'll answer it. If those gifts accompanied that time, and God was moving so dramatically among them then, would it not make sense that we would also desire the same things now? Shouldn't we desire the same things now? I think we should to see them all around us, for, for the ecclesia again to arise, to be alive, to be energized, to be excited. So why such a spiritual gift focus? There's something even more fundamental regarding why the Spirit has caused us to seek the gifts and to talk so much about the gifts and want to demonstrate the gifts from 1 Corinthians that Paul talks about, especially in times of turmoil or uncertainty. I spoke with you last week about a little bit of sort of boring history, the history of the modernist 
and the fundamentalist movement and that clash of theologies and science and higher criticism and all the things that they were arguing about theology. And who was in the middle was the masses, the majority of the people who weren't really interested in that because what did they want? An experience with God. That's what everybody wants. And so they didn't have time. They didn't care about those things as much. And we talked about Azusa Street and the birth of the Pentecostal movement and beyond. It was absolutely an experiential thing. As modern fundamentalists, modernists and fundamentalists are arguing and jockeying for theological positions and biblical interpretations and whether you can sell alcohol on Sunday or not and all these things, a movement was emerging there built on what? Personal and corporate experience. Excitement, energy, experience. They did something. They had something. I was touched by the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues. I saw a vision. Even the birth, sort of, outside of the prophets who said it a lot, we had a new thing. God told me when I was experiencing Him, God told me and I'm telling you. Those are three words you very, 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 very rarely will ever hear me say. God told me. Because if you tell somebody God told you, you better make darn sure God told you. And a lot of people don't. But why does that matter? What, what, what about the experiential part? It's what I just said. It's not theological. It requires no biblical explanation. It doesn't require those things. Why? Because I can't argue with you about it. It is, it is not an objective experience. It is someone's perceived reality. Legitimate at times. I'm certain of that. Other times, I'm not so certain. But it doesn't really matter because if it's my experience, you can't take it from me. It happened to me. I experienced God. What if the Bible doesn't really support it or, or contextually or, you know, if it's, it's misunderstood. It doesn't matter because it's my experience. So when the first century experience of Acts was transported to the 20th century of Azusa Street, actually before, long before, 18th century through the 19th century, but really came into its fruit at Azusa Street in the early 20th century. It was an experiential movement. It was energetic. It was exciting. It was amazing. And experience became truth. Do you see that? And others want that experience. And momentum and movements are born for better or worse from some of these experiences. And the experience of Acts, as I've already just described, is incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful to read. And the Spirit of God 
seems more real to us than anything else. If we talk in Trinitarian terms and we say there's God, the, the omnipotent, omniscient, everywhere God, well, it's kind of hard to relate to sometimes. Yeshua, very relatable, but he's not here. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So what are we left with? What can we experience? What he left behind for us. The Holy Spirit. We desire that. And if we have the Spirit in full, if we're functioning in the gifts, and I don't even really know how tongues made it to the top of the list, but if we have that, we're in with God. We're moving with God. We feel God. We're experiencing God when the Spirit is running through us. It is no question that a movement could emerge centered on the moves of the Spirit, intent on recreating the power of the first century, to experience that. So speaking of experience, I found this Pentecostal guy. And this time I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to interview him. I want to really understand. I'm going to interview. I have some questions. He has, a, he has a history in the movement. I don't so much, and I'll mention that at the end. But well, first of all, let me enlarge the definition, because when I say movement, when I say Pentecostal, immediately some people shut, shut down and say, well, that's not me. I was never a Pentecostal. Well, let's add my renewalist terminology that I mentioned last week. Pentecostals, charismatic Christians, evangelical charismatics, and now neo-charismatics. It's all, it's all a big group. So we're going to say renewalists rather than Pentecostalists. What? Pentecostals. Okay? But, so back to my interview. Sort of a weird guy. Name's Darren Huckey. Um, <laughs> But that's what I was looking for. I, the weirder, the better for my interview. Kidding. Darren's pretty grounded, dude. I asked Darren some questions. What are some good takeaways? Because he grew up in the Pentecostal movement. Sabrina, I think, grew up in the holiness, Pentecostal, Jesus only, some, a lot of terminologies that I don't exactly understand, but, but they're good people to talk to about this. So I asked him that question. What are the good takeaways you have from your formative years in the Pentecostal movement? Here's what he said. Being raised as part of the Pentecostal movement, I developed a longing for God's presence to permeate my life. What does that mean? He's sitting in the room. He could tell us, but I'm going to tell you how I interpret it, which would translate to, I want to sense God with me. I want to know that he is going with me. I want to feel God. I want to experience God in my life at all times. He went on to say, seeking God has always been top priority. It also developed in me a sensitivity to the spiritual world rather than just the natural one, especially being aware of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I also saw miracles such as supernatural healings. These are real things, I'm adding that. This experience also gave us a connection with the more mystical and charismatic aspects of Judaism, as well as made me more aware of supernatural activity, angelic, demonic. That was a good answer. Very good things. So, an observation on renewalist theology. Pentecostal, charismatic, neo-charismatic. 
There is within all of us, because God put it there, a spirit that's connected to him, that desires to always be reconnected to him. Your spirit is always crying out for God. It's real. It's in us. That is not up for debate. But this idea, this desiring connection in remarkable and exciting ways is not new. It didn't begin in Los Angeles in 1905. I'm speaking mainly of Christianity, so let's go back to 1517. What happened in 1517? His name's Martin Luther, and he was a monk or a friar or something. And, and what, was, what was the Reformation about? It was about taking, giving, taking power from the elites, the people who were controlling the experience of God and putting it into the hands of regular people, saying you don't have to rely on them to experience God, to feel good. Now, the printing press helped Martin Luther a lot. Because he really got some, he got some stuff out. But, but Calvin and, and Luther and all of these guys, what were they trying to do? They were trying to bring in the experience that people desired. And what was the Catholic response to this? It's interesting. The Catholic Church of the Counter-Reformation era grew more spiritual. Note the root of that word, Spiritual. More literate, more educated, new religious orders, notably the Jesuits, combined rigorous spirituality with a globally-minded intellectualism. In other words, and, and mystics such as Teresa of Avila injected new passion into the older orders. Why? Because people want to feel God and they want to experience it personally. This is not it's, it's very present in Judaism. It would be ridiculous for me to stand up here and discredit the idea of passionate, spirit-filled worship when Hasidic Judaism exists. Judaism's charismatics. Maybe Judaism's reform, reformationists. Their leader in the 18th century, the Baal Shem Tov, and all of his disciples. What did they reject? What did they embrace? They rejected cold, hard religiosity of Judaism that they perceived surrounded them. The academics and the, the, the rabbis and some of those things. In favor of what? Experiences that would allow them to feel God's presence. Passion. Dancing. Zealousness. And, 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 and um Spirit-filled expression in Judaism. That can happen? Yes, it certainly can. Radical discipleship. Singing, dancing, losing themselves in ecstatic times of worship. Noisy, exuberant, sometimes crazy. Because this experience was energetic and exciting. And Hasidic Judaism has many, 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 many stories of miracles and dreams and visions. Is Azusa Street a lie? You might, you might think that I am trying to suggest that there's nothing to it, or that it's made up, or that God wasn't in it, or anything like that. That's the furthest thing from my, my mind. Now it sounds very contradictory, but, but listen. 
Am I suggesting Pentecostalism and, and, and Azusa Street and all this stuff? That anything charismatic is off limits, undesirable, unbiblical? Absolutely not. 1,500 people were coming to Azusa Street a day. 1,500 people a day were coming there to seek what was happening. There was something very real happening there. That is, that is undeniable. The church was in a mess. God was gathering his people back to them, calling them to draw near. And the spirit, the spirit of God showing up and manifesting in unique and maybe unheard of ways, like people walking down the hall and hearing, walking down the road and hearing a prayer meeting and someone speaking in tongues, but it's actually Hebrew, and they come in and find Yeshua. But yeah, things like that happened and other things. And it was not just that. Azusa Street and that entire movement represented unity. Black, white. There were female leaders that were rising um, and doing great things and continued to do great things from it. It, it did create a revival, energy, excitement, and experience. But the origin of something is not often the way it, well, sometimes not the way it continues. And in this case, people, particularly leaders, people came to Azusa Street from all over the place. Leaders of congregations and people from all over the world. And what happened? They experienced God. They had something unique happen in their life. And what did they want to do? They wanted to take that home. They wanted to take the fire from Azusa Street and bring it to their congregations, wherever they might be. What happened when they got back to their congregations? I said I wouldn't ask you questions, so I'll answer it for you, Travis. They showed up and people said, you are out of your gourd. You've lost your mind. You were not doing that here. We don't do that here. And so these people went off and started denominations left and right. That doesn't exactly sound like recreating the Acts community from the first century. But something more potentially damaging or dangerous occurred. And it's the old game of telephone. What you experienced here, what you heard here, and then you take it home and you want to pass it on. But, you know, like the game of telephone where she tells me something and by the time it gets to Scott Howard in the back of the room, it's something totally different. That can happen in theological experiences, too. And so not only were they rejected, they also brought home different things. And all kinds of branches began to bloom off this, this tree that was Azusa Street Pentecostal movement. Without addressing, without access to the original, you can't really create it. And in the game of telephone, it's okay if Scott Howard gets the message wrong. But in, in a theology that affects almost 700 million people directly, and 2 billion people indirectly, it's kind of important that the message is biblical. Um, yeah, let's go with that. So, I, I'm not intending to push off the examination. I want to look at some of the outworkings of the initial Pentecostal revival. But, but there's a, there's a, there's, 
We'll do that. Okay. We'll do that. We'll do that. But first off, Kelly really bothered me this week. She really did. I'm just going to admit it before you. Before you. I was telling her what I was going to talk about. And she looked at me with the eyes that sometimes she gives me and said, Why? (laughs) What's the point? Why? What what are you doing? And instantly I was transported to the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles where Steve Martin's talking to John Candy and he says, he's ripping into him and he says, and by the way, do your audience a favor when you tell a story, have a point. (laughs) Why? Why are you even talking about this, she said. And it was a really good question because I had to ask myself, what am I doing? God, I thought this was, I thought this was spirit-led. <laughs> because first of all, we should desire to move in these gifts. We should desire to move in the gifts of spirit. They are from God. They are real, they are powerful. They are maybe not exactly understood. But our motive in seeking to learn God's purpose from teaching Scripture is practical and personal. It's not academic. It's not controversial. So that one thing can happen. Daily, we can benefit from the blessings with which Yeshua said the Holy Spirit would give to us. What are those blessings? We'll talk about that. Not today. It's maybe the conclusion, I think. But every single day, experiencing God through an authentic experience with His Spirit. That's something we should want. And we should want to share that with others. And here's a great other quote. Knowing the reasons that various denominations of Christianity believe different things, why these denominations were formed, and how they've responded to outside pressures can give us insight we would not otherwise have. Without this insight, it's impossible for us to have an informed conversation with another believer who does not embrace our messianic viewpoint. That's Jacob Franzak from The Gifts of the Spirit, a great, great, great book. Why? From my, from my interview with Brother Hucky, and I say it like that because that's what you say when you're talking about a Pentecostal brother. <laughs> brother Hucky. Why is it important for Messianic Judaism to understand the Holy Spirit, I asked Brother Hucky. Because extremism arises when we misunderstand it, he said. Guy has some really insightful answers he gave. On the one extreme is charismania and everything that comes with that. On the other is a lifeless religion void of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons, Kelly. (laughs) I don't want us to have... We're not going to be charismaniacs, that's for sure. But it would be equally or maybe worse damaging to have a lifeless void with no spirit in our walls. Do you agree with that? Yes. Where's the middle? 
We live in the middle, and that's what we'll talk about. But, you know, I want us to have an exciting, energized, experiential life with God. Darren said, a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit will give us the balance we need to live an overcoming, spirit-filled life. That's the middle, but we need to find it. I am not a Pentecostal. I am not a charismatic. I certainly did not grow up that way. So, I have friends who did. Brother Hucky has one. Others, many others. And their experience I plan to draw on a little bit. Because it's really good. Sometimes it's really funny, too. But right away, this requires another caveat. Because I don't understand firsthand. I haven't sat in the, in the mix. I will never forget one time Leslie Head. I showed a video that I had found on YouTube of a Pentecostal church. I don't, 10% of you might have been here then. I thought it was the absolute funniest thing I had ever seen in my life. It was a out-of-control, wild Pentecostal service. And this guy came running from the back of the room running full speed in the church in the back of the room and dove into the baptismal at the front of the thing. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. And I thought everyone would think it was funny. Leslie didn't think it was funny. Because she has a background where had some positive experiences in places. Maybe you jumped in the baptismal. I doubt it, but you know... My point is, I don't have the luxury of just sitting up here in my little ivory tower and criticizing everybody or everything. That's never my intention. I don't have the, I don't have the ability. I can tell you all kinds of things about Judaism because I experienced that. But I'm also no stranger. I do have some experience. And I'm going to share those later. But I do want to tell you, the first time I met Pentecostalism in my early 20s, a recent believer very much had discarded all things Jewish at that point in time because that's what I was told to do. And what was I then told to do? Well, I was, I was in a lot of different churches looking for what, I, what was right. And I heard this thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I thought, well, sounds good. So I went to a prayer meeting. I walked into that special room in the back of a Denny's. Remember the Denny's, the Denny's conference room? Anyone remember that? Well, I walked in and there were a lot of men in there. It was a men's Bible study. I later saw this guy on television with his own program. But I walked in and they told me that that day I was going to receive the Holy Spirit. I thought, cool. That's what I'm here for. And so at some point in time after a teaching, we were instructed to stand up and circle around in the Denny's conference room. I had no idea what was about to happen. But then it just started like, maybe sort of like it sounded like an axe when 
except they were speaking real languages, but all of a sudden it just starts this, you know, the sounds, the, the, the spiritual Morse code starts. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. But then they make their, because they're going down the line, right? And they're coming to me. And I'm like, oh gosh, I just came here for some bacon and, and the Holy Spirit, but I'll just take the bacon and go. And then they got to me and the hand went on the forehead and the oil and all that. And they said, you just got to start. You just got to start. I said, start what? Start making sounds. Kelly loves this story. Start making sounds. And so I did, because, I mean, I didn't want to be the only moron in the room <laughs> who wasn't making sounds. So I did make sounds, but they didn't make sense to me. And they said, you don't have, they don't have to make sense. It's God. But I wasn't feeling God in it at all. And I, I was a new believer, like I knew what it felt like to be around God. And then the like, okay, now, now you're really going to get it. And the push, you know, the push on the forehead. And well, no, I was a lot bigger than them. And so it was kind of like. <laughs> All the while I'm making the sounds that you're supposed to make. But I, they were the same sounds because I didn't. I heard a lot of people making other very creative sounds. <laughs> but eventually, it became obvious that I was not going to be slain that day. And so other people were falling all around me. And now I'm really freaked out. I am a Jewish kid who has accepted the Messiah and is watching all this happen. It was the first real experience. I had been other places, but nothing like this had ever happened. And then I thought it was over because people began to come to those who were laying around like a battlefield <laughs> began to come back. And I thought, okay, it's getting better. Now listen, I am not it, you might think I'm making fun. I'm not making fun. This is how it happened. And I was there, and I experienced it. So I get to tell the story. And as they came back to life, something else happened. All of a sudden, laughing. The people that were sitting up started to laugh, like hysterically laughing. And I didn't think anything was funny right then. I didn't know what was happening. But eventually, the whole room was like doubled over, crying, laughing hysterically. And I am going, but eventually, guess what happened? I started to laugh. But I don't know if it was actually the spirit of laughter or if it was just because I thought it was funny. <laughs> because it was funny. 
But that changed me in a bad way. Back to the serious. It changed me in a bad way. Because they tried to manipulate me. And when you take God and manipulation and put them into the same action, first of all, it's dangerous. Secondly, it's very, very inappropriate and unacceptable behavior for a leader to do that to somebody. So it, it, it jaded me for a long time. So much so that, you know, you might say, well, golly, no wonder he says the things he says about the Spirit. No, I've experienced the Spirit of God. I, I know. And I, there's a lot of things, and we'll talk about them a little bit next week. But there are some things that happen that this takes me right back to the beginning, and it's what I'm going to end with. There are people in this room who, when I say that story, when I tell that story, you could be offended, possibly. You could be angry. You could be saying, he is, he doesn't know what he's talking about. False teacher, closed-minded, doesn't have the spirit. But what would you be basing that on? You'd be basing it on your experience. And that's what I said at the beginning. There's no arguing it. So, we will not, we will not make forward progress in our quest for, as Doug described it, the middle. A place where we make plenty of room for the Spirit of God to live and thrive and move within us and maintain our distance from anything that is manipulative or damaging to, to believers. But we won't make our way there if it's just, well, you don't know what you're talking about because this happened to me and I've seen this happen and this has happened and this has happened and this has happened. I get it. I've had equally as many experiences since then where people have manipulated me, tried to manipulate me. So all that we have right now in being able to try to understand what we're talking about here, it's so ironic is the Spirit of God. The Ruach HaKodesh, which Yeshua said, I will leave with you, because the Ruach HaKodesh will keep you grounded. The Ruach HaKodesh will keep you educated. It will show you the ways you should go, and the things you should listen to, and the things you should be seeking. So ultimately, where we're going is, as Doug said, somewhere in the middle. But it doesn't mean lifeless, void of God or Spirit. It means a quest to draw ever nearer to the God of the universe, who chose you to put a little bit of His Spirit inside. And that's incredible. So if I offended you by telling that story, forgive me, first of all. It's not intended to offend you. It's to give you some perspective on the fact that I have experience. Right? 
And in conclusion, because it was the quote that I wanted to give you last week, Brother Hucky, what are the biggest dangerous pitfalls of a, a, a misunderstanding of the function and manifestation of the Spirit? With great power comes great responsibility, he said. Unfortunately, just like any other religious community, there's abuse, manipulation, fraud. Often the voice of one's own Holy Spirit trumps sound biblical living and leads one into really bad life choices. And because the Holy Spirit is not quantifiable, the voice of the Holy Spirit, if left unchecked, can become simply an extension of one's own ego. The Spirit told me. Therefore, what the Holy Spirit tells me can be completely contrary to what the Holy Spirit tells you. That's pretty good. And so here's my conclusion as we head into healings, God and Satan, spiritual warfare, discernment and deliverance, ecstatic worship and experience, all that and more. It is crucial to study Judaism's teachings on matters such as the gift of tongues, as well as the other gifts, prophecy, healing, discernment, etc. Not because Jewish thought is inherently better or superior, but because a Jewish approach will better represent the worldview of the Messiah and the Apostles. Jordan Levy. So, all that and more. Healings, spiritual warfare, deliverance, worship, and more next week. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.